not only creates a, a hole in our body and a hole in our heart, uh, but it also gives us an opportunity to just reach out and love some folks that are going to be leaving us. So Eric actually is going to be leaving tomorrow. So I asked Eric and Carol if they'd come on up and we're going to lay hands on it and pray for them as they, uh, as they go forward. Carol will still be here, as I said, uh, you know, just uh, praying and waiting for the house to go and Eric will be getting things set up in California. But I wanted to open up the opportunity. Anybody in the body that would like to come up and lay hands on him as we pray for him, come on up. And uh, we're going to pray for him. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you right now. We just lift up to you, Eric and Carol, the whole family. Lord, we do uh, just ask, God, that your spirit would go before them and prepare the way. We pray for traveling mercies for Eric as he, as he heads back and as he begins to, to try to set up house uh, in another state, Lord, uh, waiting and longing for his family to be with him. And Lord, we pray for his family that will be here uh, finishing up uh, some things at school, and, and Father, just continuing to pray that you would sell their house. Lord God, you know the needs and the call that you placed upon them, Father, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would go before, that you would open up the doors. By your Spirit, you would strengthen them and equip them to walk the road that is laid out before them. We pray, God, that you would give Eric favor at work, Lord God, and Father, that soon he would be uh, prepared to receive his family. And we pray, God, that you would give Carol favor here and uh, that you sell that house, Lord God, that she would be able to join Eric. And Lord, we pray as we lay this before you, Father, we just ask your blessing, your anointing, and your touch upon it all. We thank you for what they've been to us. We trust you, Lord Jesus, that you're going to, uh, to fill that place, Lord God. We know you will. And Father, we pray, Lord, that they will be a blessing wherever they are found from this day forward. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to continue our journey as we begin. Many people call 1 Corinthians chapter 15 one of the most important chapters in the entire scriptures. Why? Well, last week, you remember, we saw the gospel. Paul says, I declare to the, 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 the gospel to you that which I also received. And he lays out for us what the gospel is. And then we, we kind of... Uh, um, just uh, hovered, I guess is a good word. We, we hovered over the phrase that Paul writes in uh, chapter 10 when he said, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Not I, but the grace of God that is in me. And we talked about how the grace of God changes everything. It, it changes everything we are, everything that we're going to be. That as we just 
hold on, as we just grasp the grace, it changes us from the inside out. It doesn't take all that work. You know, before I got saved, there are a lot of times I might say things like, well, you know, I'm going to, uh, as soon as I kind of get my act together, I'm going to start going to church. As soon as I get my act together, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek the Lord. But the reality is, you seek the Lord and, and discover His grace, and all that happens anyway. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, they'll be added unto you. The Lord pouring out His blessing upon Paul and upon us. Now Paul's going to go on and continue to to now talk about the resurrection. What the resurrection is. Listen, there in Corinth and in Greece, the the idea, the, the concept that there's life after death was so ridiculous to them when Paul sat on Mars Hill and delivered this incredible message to the, to the Greeks that were there gathered in the Areopagus. As he laid it out for them, he's beginning to teach as soon as he got to the point where he said that there is a resurrection of the dead, they all turned their ears off. When he spoke to King Agrippa and he said to King Agrippa, that Jesus was risen from the dead, King Agrippa said to him, much studying has made you crazy. The idea that there is anything after this life. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 was written to answer that question. That we were created eternal. That part of us, which is us, it doesn't die. It doesn't cease to exist. It was interesting because when I was in school, we, uh, uh, in biology, they had done a study. And they had taken, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you can cut the top of a, of a fellow's head off, the crown of his skull, and expose his brain. And they had this guy laying in, a, in this bed as they were doing brain surgery on him. And they were trying to discover if the soul of a man, the mind of a man, is his brain. And so they began to do some experiments. And they told the guy sitting there in the bed with his brain exposed, and they have these little electrodes that they're going to probe. They said, now we want you to think, concentrate, don't move your arm. So he concentrated, not going to move my arm, not going to move my arm. And they poked that part of his brain and his arm moved. They said, now concentrate, don't move your leg. So he concentrated, I'm not going to move my leg, I'm not going to move my leg. And then he poked that part of his brain, and his leg moved. At the end of the study, this is what they said. Your brain is a switch. It's a switching center that receives its orders from the soul. The part of you where thinking happens. Thinking doesn't happen in our brain. The brain's just a switch. Thinking happens in that part of us, that part of us that is beyond the body, that part of us that is more than the sum of its parts, that part of us that is eternal, that was created by God to know God and enjoy a relationship with God for eternity. And so when, when Paul begins to teach us, he says, listen, I'm going to explain to you guys how I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is life after death. I'm going to explain to you how I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a resurrection. 
I'm going to explain this to you, and I'm going to lay it out for you here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, he's already given us some evidence, right? He said Christ was risen from the dead. Everybody there at Corinth believed Christ was risen from the dead. Hey, Paul said 500 people saw him at once, and some of those are still alive. You can go ask them. Paul had seen them. Peter had seen him. The 12, they had all seen him. They were eyewitnesses to the truth. You don't think that if Rome could have produced a body, they would have? They could have squashed that whole rebellion right there. Put Christianity to sleep. But they couldn't produce a body. All they could do is produce an empty tomb. You don't think if the the priest could produce a body, they would have? They could have got rid of Christianity in one fell swoop. All they could do was produce a lie. The disciples stole the body. But nobody could produce the body. The only religion in the world. The only one that worships a risen Savior who's in the world today. And I know he's living no matter what men say, right? So when we take a look at the scripture, Paul's going to lay out for us these concepts. Now we we pick it up there in in verse 11. Therefore... Whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So they all believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They believed that he rose from the dead. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, then how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Christ's resurrection is proof positive proof that there is more to this world than what meets the eye. The resurrection of Christ. Listen, if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, you have to believe in the resurrection of the dead. You have to believe. Bible very clearly lays those concepts out for us. In fact, as we're considering that, let's look at the oldest oldest book in the Bible. Anybody know where that is? oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. Job chapter 19, verse 25. Job, in the, in the midst of all the stuff he's going through, all the things that are happening to him, Job writes this for us. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I will see God, whom I will see for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another. Hey, Job, way back in, in, in the time of the patriarchs, somewhere in the middle of the book of Genesis, uh, Job probably would have lived and and. And uh, been known at that time. Well, what we see here, Job saying that Jesus Christ, my Redeemer, is going to place his feet on this earth. And he said, now when my skin, my body, when I'm gone, I know in my flesh, in, in a body, I will see God. He's going to see him. And he says, and my eyes, not someone else, my eyes, I'm going to see God. The Bible lays out for us in Daniel chapter 12 that there is a resurrection. Two, first resurrection, the resurrection unto life. 
Those who are resurrected have a relationship with God and will spend eternity with Him. The second resurrection, a resurrection unto death. What does the Bible consider death? Separation from God. Separation from Him. Those who take part in the second resurrection are not saved. Not a one of them. Those who take place in the first resurrection, they belong to Jesus Christ. And so he says, listen, if you guys are saying there's no other resurrection, then Jesus isn't risen. But we know he's risen, right? He's going to give us seven things that would be a problem if there was no resurrection. The first one he lays out for us here. If there's no resurrection, then Christ isn't risen. And in verse 14, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. A waste of time. It's a waste of time for us to preach. If Christ is not raised, if there is no resurrection, no life after death, there's nothing more than what we experience on the earth today, then preaching is a waste of time. It's empty. And your faith is empty. The third thing he lays out for us is, what do you have your faith in? Where's your hope? This is all there is. This is all there is to life. Christ isn't risen from the dead. Preaching is a waste of time. Faith is a waste of time. Where are you putting your faith and trust? And then he goes on. In verse 15, gives us the fourth point. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead don't rise. So if there's no resurrection from the dead, there's no life after death, there's nothing else uh, that takes place in this world, then we're all liars. I find that interesting concept. Because a lot of people will purport different things about the resurrection, but you cannot alter the truth of the lives of the apostles. We saw who they were before Jesus rose from the dead, didn't we? We saw them arguing about who's the greatest. We saw them make mistakes. We saw Peter fail and deny the Lord three times that he even knew him, right? We saw the shepherd struck and the sheep scattered, didn't they? They ran everywhere. Self-preservation was all they were about. Now you're going to try to sell me that those same guys who were so focused on self-preservation are now willing to die for something that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt is a lie. So while they're being tortured throughout their lives, all of them would be tortured and killed except for John. And they know it's a lie. They never once would recant. You really try to to sell that to me because something supernatural happened to those 12 guys. Because all of a sudden they didn't care about themselves anymore. They cared about others. That's what Jesus said would happen, didn't he? Jesus said that you'll be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He told him in Jerusalem, just stay here, guys. Don't go do nothing. Just wait until you have the power of the Holy Spirit to do what I'm calling you to do. Because if you try to do it on your own, you'll mess it up. And when the Holy Spirit came, they went. They shared. The love of God was poured out in their heart by the Holy Spirit. And we can know that Jesus is risen from the dead by the life change that took place in their lives. How do you explain the change of life that took place in my life? How do you explain the change of so many lives around the world who have given their faith and put their trust in Jesus Christ? If Christ is not risen and it's all a lie, where does that come from? The power of positive thinking? Whatever. The power of positive thinking work for y'all? 
I can sit home and think, you know what, Kathy, I'm going to go on a diet so I don't have to wear suspenders. <laughs> I'm going to go on a diet. I am not going to eat none of this bad food for me. And, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to start jogging and get in shape. And I'm gonna, I'll look like I was 17 again. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to use the power of positive thinking. I'm going to sit there in the kitchen and look at that cinnamon roll and say, no. I'm not going to eat that cinnamon roll. Maybe just a little bite. I'll just have one bite because I have self-control. I can say no. And then Cole comes walking in the house and pops a top on a monster. Push. I hear that. I'm going to go running. I'll get it. I'll just eat whatever I want and I'll run. With the power of positive thinking, the control that I have, I'll go out and I'll just jog. Let me tell you something. If a bear is chasing me, I'm not running. If it's you and me and we go hiking and a bear comes around the corner and you're thinking all I have to do is outrun Jackie, you're going to be fine. <laughs> I'll just lay down and let him eat. Hey, here I am, brother. Just, you know, pray a blessing over the meal before you have it. And the power of positive thinking, I can't accomplish anything. There has to be a real power that's unleashed in our life to change. Otherwise, there wouldn't be all them self-help books, right, about how easy it is to change who you are. The reality is it's the power of God working in us that changes us, that makes us more than who we are. And that's what happened to the disciples. That's what God did to them. Well, the Scripture goes on and tells us more. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. The next point that he brings out is, we're still in our sins. We haven't been forgiven. If Christ is not risen, if there is no resurrection, then we're still lost. We're still caught up in sin. And there is that, that hope or that loss of the hope of the forgiveness of sins. And he says in verse 18, Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That means all those who have died before us. They're just gone. No hope. They're just gone. They don't exist anymore. They pass from existence. All there is to life is what we experience today. And then Paul says, if Christ is not risen, if there's no resurrection, then they're just gone. It's just over. They just cease to be. And then in verse 19, he says, his last point now, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If we only have hope for this life, then we have no hope. There's no hope. We have hope because of what Jesus did. We have hope because he rose from the dead. We have hope because of the resurrection. We, that's what I'm, I don't know. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's the comfort with which we are called to comfort ourselves in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That comfort that hope in Jesus Christ, the hope in the resurrection, the hope of all that there is in this. In fact, when we take a look at the things that are, are covered by the resurrection, for example, the divinity, Jesus, the fact that Jesus is God, it's, it's proven to us because of the resurrection. It says, in fact, in, uh, in Romans chapter 1, 
verse 4. It says, He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. We see that God is sovereign. The sovereignty of God. In Romans 14 it says, Now for to this end Christ died and rose and lived again that we... Or that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. That he would have control of all these things. In fact, we'll see as we continue on that God has has placed in his hands all things to be under his feet. That Jesus Christ would be all in all. But it's all because of the resurrection of the dead. Scripture lays out that you and I, we're justified by faith, right? We're made just as if we'd never done it by faith. And that's all based... On the resurrection of the dead. In fact, the scripture lays out for us in Romans 4.25. That he was delivered up because of our offenses. And he was raised for our justification. To make us clean. All hinging on the resurrection of the dead. Scripture tells us that we're regenerated. That God does his work in us. Making us new. Changing our life. You know that instead of the, the, the power of positive thinking. It's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. To make us more than we are right now. Jesus said that you are a new creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God has appointed for us to do. He tells us that we're that new creation. But that's all based on the resurrection of the dead. The scripture lays out for us in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's begotten us again to a living hope. To change, to make us more than what we are. In fact, our own resurrection is based on the resurrection of Christ. Romans 8, 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through His Spirit which dwells in you. Our resurrection comes through Him. Romans 8, 11. Our salvation comes by the resurrection. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Romans 10, 9, and 10 tell us if if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, what? That God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. All of those things hinge on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as Paul's laying these things out, here are the seven things we lost. These are the things that are based or, 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 or founded in the resurrection of Christ. He says in verse 20, but listen, now Christ is risen. He is risen. We're not going to argue. Christ is risen from the dead and he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He has become the first fruit. Now, if you've been coming on Wednesday night, Wednesday night we've been going through the book of Leviticus, and we've been talking about the different feasts. And one of those feasts is a feast of first fruits. On the 14th of Nisan would be the Passover. That's the day when Jesus Christ was crucified, fulfilling the feast of Passover. On the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which took place the day after the Passover and lasted for seven days, Jesus Christ would have been buried. 
He'd have been hidden at that time. Much like you see the unleavened bread, that they would only eat unleavened bread. The removal of sins is being accomplished while Jesus Christ is in the ground. While he was entombed, he was sprinkling the blood of a greater sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant in the mercy seat there in heaven. As those things are taking place, he fulfills that feast. And then you have the Feast of First Fruits. You know what day that was? The Feast of First Fruits took place the day after the Sabbath, the Sabbath after Passover. So you have Passover. The Sabbath would have been that Saturday. The day after that would be Sunday. Sunday morning, a bunch of women ran out to the tomb to anoint the tomb with spices. But what happened as they were heading that way? On the Temple Mount, a priest was lifting a sheaf of grain. And he was waving it to the Lord, saying, Thank you, Lord, for this harvest and the one to come. At the exact same time, women were finding an empty tomb. The fulfillment of He has become our first fruits. The first fruits of what? The resurrection. He's the first to be resurrected. Well, listen, Jackie, I'm not sure that's true. You know, I read some of the Old Testament, and I think there's a couple of stories back there about fellows being raised from the dead. Oh, and what about Lazarus? Well, you have the, the, the son of the Shunammite, Shunammite woman. You have Lazarus. Uh, you have the, the widow of Nain, her son. You have all these that were, they were raised from the dead. How can you say that Jesus Christ is the first fruits? He's not the first one ever risen. Well, I would say he is. The other guys were resuscitated. You know the difference? Resuscitated. They came back to life. But what happened? They died again. They didn't live forevermore. When Jesus is risen from the dead, he is risen and never again will he die. Ever again. Never. Ever. That's the resurrection. Resurrection says that there is something after this life that is eternal in the heavens. That we're going to spend eternity with Christ. And before we get all crazy, I remember when I was a young guy, I was a young man, and there's a lot of things I like to do. And folks, we get up and preach about, I'm going to go and I'm going to be with Jesus forever. Oh, it's like church service forever. <laughs> Lord, don't make me do it. <laughs> if that's what eternity's like, oh, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I want that. I don't want the alternative. <laughs> but I'm not sure I want it. You know, heaven singing songs for eternity. <laughs> Hymns forever. The scripture lays out for us that eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered into the thoughts of men the things that God has planned for those who love him. But the Spirit reveals those things. As we live our lives and submit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit gives us a little glimpse of what it's going to be like. That that spiritual understanding. When we're walking in the Spirit, fully in the Spirit, it's a little taste, it's a little dabble of, of the truth of what heaven's like. But you need to realize, if you thought of something good, it's better there. 
If you, had a, if you heard something that you liked, it sounds better there. Every thought we've ever had, everything we've ever done will fall short to the glory that will be revealed when we stand face to face with Jesus Christ. What are we going to do? I don't know. What's it going to be like? I don't know. Paul said, when he saw heaven, it would be unlawful for me to tell you what it's like at all. I can't even put it into words how wonderful it is. But I promise you, the scripture lays out that no one will be disappointed. Not a one. By being in his presence, by standing before Almighty God, by experiencing the resurrection. Now, I'm going to tell you this. That's the way I thought when I was younger. I always thought about the things I was going to be missing. Of course, I never thought about the bad things I'd be missing. I always thought about the things I thought were good that I might be missing. Now that I'm older, I'm looking forward to the things I get. I get a new body. I wore this one out. It's got a... You know, I got a hitch in to get along. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> I've had two back surgeries, couple shoulder surgeries, all these things going on. Parts don't work like they used to. But hey, the scripture lays out in the resurrection, we get new body, better body, one that doesn't wear out. I can thrash it and thrash it and thrash it, and it'll just keep coming back. Isn't that a great feeling? I could go out in heaven, maybe, who knows, maybe there's a motocross track in heaven, I'll be able to go out riding like when I was a kid, and I'll be able to eat it. And then we just get up and laugh. Oh man, that was great. And we get back on, keep going. The body's never going to wear out. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the great things that God has for us. Heaven's going to be an incredible, wonderful, beautiful place. And that's where we want to be. He has become the first fruits, the promise of things to come. We will be like him. When we are with him, we will be like him. And that's awesome. That's awesome. The first resurrection began on the feast of first fruits in 32 AD. Still going on today. What do you mean? Well, the first, Jesus was the fulfillment and the beginning of the first resurrection. Everyone who dies in faith will experience the first resurrection. The Bible says to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 5. We'll take a quick look, just real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know... That if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we will not be found naked. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, we're not disembodied spirits. When we die, we go to heaven. And in heaven, we experience that first resurrection. We experience a first resurrection. And from our point of view here on earth, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says that at, that at that trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. From our point of view, the dead in Christ, they got the body first. And we who are alive and remain are caught up together with them. 
But, but from their perspective, heaven's outside of time, folks. There's no past there. There's no, there's no present. There's no future. There is only the presence of Almighty God. They, they experienced the resurrection right then. And you know how we can know that for, for without a doubt, a fact? Matthew chapter 27 tells when Jesus was risen from the dead, what happened in the, in the graves. And many saints rose from the dead and walked around and people saw them. People look at that part of the scripture and they go, well, that's, that's weird. That's, we'll skip that part. But what was, what was the Lord saying? Hey, the first resurrection has begun. When does it end? Revelation chapter 20. When Jesus Christ returns with the saints, when the number of the tribulation saints has been fulfilled, the first resurrection will close, we'll enter into the millennial reign, and at the end of the millennial reign, we'll have the second resurrection. The resurrection of the dead. The face of great white throne judgment. We don't want to be a part of that resurrection. That's bad. First resurrection, good. So we want to be a part of the first resurrection. We want to enjoy that which the Lord has for us. And that began, folks, first resurrection began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it continues. And it doesn't close until Revelation chapter 20. So we're looking forward. We're looking forward to that. And if you really want to mess with your, with your mind and consider what heaven's really like, and that it's outside of time and there's no past, present, or future there, it just is, in the, in the presence of Almighty God, then those who have died and gone before us into heaven, if we were to look from their perspective, we're already there. Well, that'll mess with your mind, won't it? Yeah, I'm already there, but I'm here. That's true. From your perspective, you're here. But from their perspective, outside of time in the presence of God, you're already there. They're doing fine. We have to finish our race. They're in good shape. They're rejoicing. They're enjoying the presence of Almighty God. And you and I, when we finish our race here, and the Lord closes a curtain on the act of life that we're a part of, the curtain's going to open for us in the presence of God with a new body. No battle with sin. It's all over. It's finished. Isn't that what Jesus said at the cross? It is accomplished. It is done. I'm done, Dad. I got, I, I, I've accomplished the job. And we, we, we go there and we experience all the realities of what God has for us. And because we have that hope, we get up in the morning and we say, hey, whatever this day has for me, it cannot begin to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us with Christ Jesus. Can't even begin to be compared For since by man, verse 21, came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. There's a concept in the scripture, federal headship of Adam, which uh, lays out for us a concept that Adam stood for all mankind, and as a result, his fall affects all mankind. 
Adam was created in God's image. We see after the fall of man that man was then created or born in the image of Adam. What did that mean? We were born sin nature. We were born with death reigning over us. From that moment forward. The first Adam, think about that. The first Adam was born without a sin nature, right? He, he was created. Without a sin nature. He was given choice, wasn't he? Adam, you have choice. You can eat, freely eat of every tree in the garden, everywhere in the garden. It's all yours. Just don't eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Scripture lays out for us that Eve was tempted, was deceived by Satan, and she fell. That's not what it says about Adam, right? The Bible says Adam transgressed. Adam knew what he was doing. And he did it anyhow. And he fell. And ever since Adam fell, we have all been stained by sin. When Adam was created, he could choose to sin or not to sin. But from the fall, he had, didn't have that choice anymore. He, we, he, we are now sinners because we sin. That's what we do. And then came the second Adam. Jesus Christ. Promise in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. The seed of the woman. Woman doesn't have a seed. That's right. God's going to implant his son in a woman. And he will be born God in human flesh. Why is that important? Because he would be the second human born. No sin nature. And he would be faced with a choice, right? To obey or not. What did he say in the garden of Gatshmone in Gethsemane? He said, Father, if there's any other way that this can be done, then, then let's do that. Nevertheless, not my will, your will. Jesus said, the words my father gave me to speak, that's what I spoke. The things my Father gave me to do, that's what I did. He says in Philippians chapter 2 that Almighty God laid aside the regal robes of royalty and His rights to be worshipped as God and came still fully clothed in deity to be born of a man. Why? Because through man sin entered the world. So through man Sin must be defeated. I've heard people say before, all the, you know, in a variety of different ways, it's not fair the things that God asks us to do. He, he wants us to be perfect and He wants us to be holy, but, but I, I can't. I mean, I, I, I fall short. You're right. That's the point. Grasp that. And then realize that God did it for you. He fulfilled His requirement for you. We receive that fulfillment by faith. We put our trust in Christ. And He, by our relationship with Him, makes us right. It's called righteousness. Didn't come because of what I do. comes because of who I know. There is this story about the, the, old, the old man and the priest. Maybe you remember it. 
They're gathered outside the city of Bethlehem in a little circle. And this young priest comes outside there. And the the time was during the census. And he comes out and he begins to pray. And he's praying in a loud voice like the priest would do in that day. And this old man, this old shepherd, hears him and says, Hey, young fellow, what are you doing? And the young fellow says, I'm praying to, to Almighty God. Why? Well, that's what I do. I don't understand why you're praying to him. What good does it do? I mean, we're under Roman rule. Rome rules tells us what we do, what we don't do. I'm going to live in this life the way I'm going to live in this life. I came into this life with nothing. I'm going to go out of this life with nothing. I got nobody who cares about me. If I eat or don't eat, who cares? You pray and we'll see if food appears. I don't see any food appearing. I guess your prayers aren't working. But priests didn't really know what to do with that. And the old man continued. He says, you know what? If you're going to put all this, this hope and trust in God, then, then why don't God do something about the situation we find ourselves in? Why doesn't God do something about all the horror that's in life? Why didn't God do something about all the bad things that happen to good people? You know, if you put your faith and trust in God, great. Good for you. I'm not going to do it. If I'm going to put my faith and trust in God, then I want God to know what it's like to be me. I want him to know what it's like to, to be hungry. I want him to know what it's like to look into a mother's eyes whose son is dead and try to pull some kind of understanding from it. I want him to know what it's like to, to be hated and despised and rejected. I want him to know what it's like to be me. I'm going to die alone and not one person on this earth is going to care I ever came or went. <clears throat> And the old man stopped and he went back to his circle. And they passed him another bottle of wine. He tilted his head back, took a deep drink. Long, deep sigh. Tried to wash away all the emotion that was just bursting out of him. And in the silence, outside of Bethlehem, you could hear a baby cry. That's what God did. When when the Lord came to the tomb of Lazarus in John, he wept. Why did he weep? He wept over the power of death in our lives. What's the last enemy that he's going to destroy? Death will have no power one day in the resurrection. He wept even though he was going to raise the dead. He knew what it was like. Did he ever look into a mother's eyes when her child had died? Sure he did. But then what does Jesus do with that circumstance? He raises them from the dead. A woman on her way outside of Jerusalem, weeping and mourning over the loss of her child, and as a casket passes by, Jesus touches it. And the fellow gets up and gets out of the casket. It's incredible. The things Jesus did moved by compassion for the people. Because he loves them. He paid the price. He became the second Adam. So by one Adam, death entered the world. But by the second Adam, he brought life. He brought the resurrection. Verse 23 says, But each one of us in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ, it is coming. 
The beginning of the resurrection started with Christ, the first fruits, and will continue to his coming, Revelation, end of Revelation chapter 19, beginning of 20. He says, then comes the end, verse 24. And this is the end of the sermon. So good news. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Then comes the end. The end, Jesus returning, the first resurrection is accomplished. We look forward to the second resurrection, the judgment of the, of the world. But he comes back and sets up what? His kingdom. And he's going to rule and put all things under his feet. Every man that enters into the kingdom, well, not you and I, will be by his side. We're part of that first resurrection. But everyone that enters into the kingdom, who had lived through the tribulation period and enters into that time, is going to experience the greatest rule and reign on earth ever. People will live longer. Isaiah says that men will die, but if they died at 100 years old, they would say that a baby had died. So they're going to live a long time. They're going to experience the healing of the earth. No longer has man got to bring up the fruit of the ground by the sweat of his brow. Isn't that good news? You don't have to worry about weeds. They'll be gone. What will be, what will be growing will be the fruit of the land. And then Jesus, as he takes all things and he completes all things and all things are made subject to him, the scripture tells us, then he will put all things in the hands of his father and the work will be done. Look what it says. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things put under him, it's evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. So the father won't be under him. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. That God would be everything. So the son moves forward and redeems everything that was lost in Adam. And when everything that is lost has been redeemed, he's going to take all those things and give them to his dad. I finished the work, Dad. I accomplished the task that was laid out before me. And all of that is based on the resurrection of the dead. That He rose. That He died for our sins. And He rose from the dead. And now, He lives to make intercession for us. Good news. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you that you're going to make it. He's praying for you that you're going to get through. He's praying for you that you're going to accomplish all those things that you dream and, and long for. Jesus is praying that you would fulfill God's plan for your life. Because when that time comes, the scripture says, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, the time of the church will be over. The fullness of the Gentiles has come. The Lord will call his church home with him. And we'll go. And Jesus will begin that last phase of the work he has to do. The 70th week of Daniel. Tribulation period. Following that, the millennial reign of Christ. 
And then it'll all be done. And the scripture says, at that point, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. All things will pass away. And then Jesus says this phrase, I love it. Behold, I make all things new. Isn't that going to be an awesome day? It's worthy of our hope. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for an opportunity to study your word, Father, to, to, to see, God, all that you have for us. And Lord, as we continue to go through this concept of the resurrection, Father, help us to grasp the truth, Lord Jesus, that, that the resurrection, not only is it true, but it's where our hope is placed. Yes. Our hope is built there. And Father, as we place our hope and trust in that, that is that which drives us to know, to to realize all the things that ever hurt, all the things that ever caused pain or tears, sorrow, it's all going to be washed away in that place when we stand before Jesus Christ, when we know as we are known, when we lay aside our earthly tent and we put on that body that's been created for us, it is perfectly who we are, that we will be like Him without sin. That we will be ready and prepared to be His servant. Lord God, what do you have for me to do? To, To achieve His perfect rule and reign. And then, Lord, to look into a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. Thank you, Father. What will that be like? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the thoughts of men. The things God has planned for those who love Him. But the Spirit knows. He reveals the deep things of God. So Lord, may we commit ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would experience a taste of what you have for us. A taste of that which is to come. And Lord God, we'll give you all the praise and the glory for that which you accomplish in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in a, in a song of worship. We're also going to have prayer counselors all around the room, be on the side. Some will be up front. If you see a sign that says prayer counselor, there'll be someone to pray with you under that sign. If there's something you'd like to pray about, they'd love to pray with you, uh, to pray for you. Uh, and, uh, and don't forget about tonight. We got a time of worship tonight. We hope to see you back this evening. God bless you guys and go in peace. to the Lord that we would have a special touch from God that he would feel his embrace
Eternity 
You're truly in this place. Lord, you're moving through your people, Lord. Lord, uh, you're stirring our hearts, Lord God. And Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that you use us. Lord, it's just a testimony of your greatness, Lord, that you would use us as you do. Lord, uh, continue to work through your people, Lord God. Lord, as we leave this place, Lord, may we move in your power, Lord, in your strength, in your spirit, Lord. Lord, guide us, Lord, that we would be a testimony that we have been with you, Lord, by the love that we show for each other. Lord, uh, may the world know that we know the risen Savior, that you're alive. You're alive in our hearts, Lord God. Go with us, Lord, as we uh, fellowship. Lord, as we break bread. In Jesus' name, amen.